My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with Ron Amram, Vice President of Media at Heineken, about the transparency issue in the advertising world, what Facebook's video measurement issue means for marketers, and why marketers have put some money back into television. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg, and uh, Jack Marshall is on vacation. Um, I can say really whatever I want about him because he's not going to listen to this. Uh, But don't worry. Don't fear. We've got a great episode today. Joining me in the podcast booth is advertising editor of the Wall Street Journal, Suzanne Vernitza. What's up, Suzanne? How are you? Good. I don't have a British accent, but, but I know, could bring a little Brooklyn to the party, okay, so that's, don't that's worry. Good. That's what we need. And uh, joining us as well, uh, we're really excited. We're going to talk about all things digital advertising uh, and media, is uh, Ron Amram. He's the president, vice president of media at uh, Heineken USA. He's transitioning to lead uh, global media for Heineken over the next few weeks. Uh, Ron, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. And I could bring a little Queen's accent if that helps as well. All right. So we have our, our bases covered. We don't need Jack. We don't need No. Don't Congratulations need on the promotion. Thank you very much. So I think he almost promoted me just now. He almost called me president, I think. So. <laughs> That's next episode. <laughs> um, so we're, we're really happy to have you in, in here. We've done a bunch of stories I'm sure our, our readers have seen over the past uh, few weeks and, and even very recently about some of these big issues percolating in the advertising world, um, centering on, on transparency. And uh, maybe, Suze, the best place to start before we kind of get Ron's take on it is to describe a little bit about um, the, the sort of bombshell reports that have been coming out, uh, one in particular about transparency in the ad business and w- what that has created uh, f- in terms of marketers, um, you know, auditing their agencies and things like that. So uh, there had been a seven-month investigation, a probe by a big trade group that represents all the big advertisers that went out and looked at, you know, how does the media buying business really work? And what they discovered was they found uh, widespread and pervasive non-transparent business practices, including things like media companies giving their ad buyers rebates in return for spending, which some clients didn't really know about or didn't get back. And it's really had this massive ripple effect through the ad business because the one thing that people forget in this business is yes it's about you know data and and numbers and really sophisticated metrics but the one thing that it's based on is this fundamental trust that exists between advertisers and agencies um, and I think this report has sort of shattered that for the, at least for the time billing being until we figure out what steps need to be taken so Ron what was your take on the on the report and how has that kind of changed your your thinking going forward well in truth, this is something, if, if you look at it very broadly, it's been happening outside the U.S. for a long time. And advertisers have been dealing with this globally uh, for years. But in the U.S., it always with this perception that um, because broadcast was governed and regulated and the relationships between regulated industries and advertising entities, it, it was not – it was a bubble you know, for, from a, on a global standpoint – and the digital world has kind of evolved that and, and, and evolved agency relationships and vendor relationships. And that's, that, that rumor has been going on in, you know, within the United States now 
for years. So there's always been rumblings of this increasing um, vendor relationships and, and agency relationships blurring. And this is the first time we really have any any paper trail that that really alludes to um, what had has been rumored and discussed in, in at, uh, you know in rooms, but never really been public for a long time. And that and that rumor being the central issue of the report, the the issue of rebates, essentially, right? Or or just is it? Do you mean sort of more broadly non transparent practices? I, it's, I think it's I think it's more broadly than rebates. I think that's the that's the the worst part of it where you're literally seeing kickbacks potentially or agencies um, getting cash back that they are not then, then, then feeding back to the advertiser. But it could, you know, there's even more benign stuff where they're literally um, taking, you know, whether it's training or whether a, a host of things that may be beneficial to the advertiser but still not disclosed and discreet and potentially still leads you to pick one vendor over another for the wrong reasons, right? right? Which wouldn't be in the best interest no, of the it's, market. At least, not, at least not, you know, on our pri- the hierarchy of priorities is probably lower down. And so we're making decisions based on bad, bad information or, or misinformation. Plus, but, it, you know. plus it's a, there's lots of conflict of interest that have come out of this report, right? You know, holding companies have invested in media companies, some of them. And although, you know, it's publicly disclosed somewhere, you know, how do marketers really know that they're not driving money to a company that they have an investment in? That's another big issue that's right. come right. to These light. holding companies have Yeah, they have so tentacles in- everywhere. Right. And there's also the 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 M&A part of it as well where agency holding companies have potentially bought uh, divisions or or pieces from media companies but and potentially being you know underpriced in the in the inference there is that maybe they were getting advertising money as a way to pay off acquisitions Acquisition. so those are that those are the 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 the, the layers and stack and so that you know that again is in the area of Really being bad, where you're actually buying, you know, you're buying media for with a with a with a with a vendor to help the agency, and not in, in no way, shape, or form, really building your media practice. You know. So the report comes out, and the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't name names, but it basically leaves the impression that hey, this is a you know pervasive and widespread, and so now marketers are basically sitting looking at themselves saying. Is it my agency? So what steps did you take? Like, what are you doing to sort of combat this, figure out what's going on? Yeah, so it, th- because this has been rumored for a while, we we've, we um, we have done several things over the course of five years, actually. Really, I'd say four years. One was an agency consolidation. So we, we, we did an agency review going back in 2012. We'd revised and expanded a lot of the language that we had in there. We we um, also have brought in auditors much more closely as a part of our buying process, and we've actually done a financial audit going back, I think it was 2014 originally, for the first time, where we actually looked at the, f- uh, the, f- the financial trail of how we bought and the language within our contract relative to that. So um, it's it's really about bringing people who ec- who are experts in terms of contract language and um, buying pricing, so they're essentially taking. F- it's not necessarily um, having the, the the depth and pure transparency onto everything that goes on, but comparing what we end up with and what our language is in our contracts with other advertisers to see how we do, and that's a good way of really kind of litmus testing. How well we're doing relative to um, you know what other advertisers are saying, and, and that gives you 
that sense of comfort and transparency that maybe, um, you know, another part of it is just seeing how well your agency reacts to auditing. Well, you, um, you were, we just quoted you in our recent story about, you know, it's so hard to follow the money these days. You said something like, you need, you don't need a generalist anymore. You need a proctologist. Right. Um, I'll leave everybody to sort of imagine what that's going to look like. But so... How hard is it to find this stuff? Like, you're going to add more auditing languages to your contracts. Everybody seems to be going down that path. But it seems so murky. Are we go- Is there a really a way to get from end to end to get to the bottom of this, especially when there is resistance, you know, within holding companies to, to go deep? They, they clearly have, you know, the right to protect some of their privacy and all that stuff. So yeah. how do you navigate that? So when I, you know, when you first kind of look at it and, and as a marketer sitting – you know, in, in an office on your own, it is a, a kind of a daunting, overwhelming feeling. I think what, and this is where the ANA plays an important role, as, as you sit marketers around the table together, you begin to start um, connecting dots and you still you start sharing information. The, the best asset a marketer has is their peer group, and that's, and that's where the ANA has played an important role for us. Um, to give you another example, right now, uh, it, as I pivot into a global role and, and seeing this this play out in other countries that 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 is where it's more pervasive so in china per se so that we're again we we have marketers that are sitting on the ground in china and they're wondering what you know how do you you know who can you trust in the world where you know you're you're playing you know uh, a game of, of agency and brokers and all of these things that doesn't happen in the U.S. And the only way to really get dive into it is compare results with other CPG companies, other beverage companies to see how they're doing it and really align on, all right, this is what pricing really looks like. This is what so – and that's where auditing firms can come in and really, you know, play a third-party role so that, all right, we're not sharing, you know, really, you know – proprietary information it's white it's kind of in a white room but we're all comparing so that we can see how the market plays out and then you can pair it with other markets to see what uh, what relative pricing looks like and that you really have to start layering in um, and triangulating what the truth is you are never going to get to the heart but the more you stack data and information up against it and, and really share information that's when you start peeling away the, the truth to what to what extent does the responsibility fall? on marketers here. I mean, like you said, rumors have been swirling for a long amount of time. Is this a case of marketers sort of being asleep at the wheel? And yes, this report really maybe jump-started some audits, stuff like that. But, you know, do do marketers need to really, I guess, take a look in the mirror here and, and See what kind of responsibility they have. Also, you have a lot of this, you know, in the report itself did say that some of this behavior, you know, was covered in contracts. I mean, is this a case, too, that the contracts, you know, clients didn't really know what they were signing and it's so fuzzy out there or that this business has moved and the people that are in charge don't really understand what's been happening here? I think that's a big part of it. I mean, we've, you know, since the report has come out, a lot of it has been shame on us. And People have wondered why we've not, dis- you know, why the ANA and not we, but the a- the ANA and K two and uh, so that's the Big intelligence Cody. firm that takes exactly the they're the forensic and then, you know the proctology quote you can fill it, fit in there or you know forensic is a good word but uh, you know the digging that goes on and they had to do there was a lot of um, you know no names were disclosed so it was it was it was it was very um, soft and didn't leave any you know smoking gun on the table per se so. But part of it is because it's our own fault. It's a, it's a, marketers have, have 
in one way really need to trust and rely on their agencies because they you know there's so much that we need to share with them we need to bring them very close to our issues our problems and things that we're trying to solve and we have to rely on them very heavily so uh, creating a relationship of trust is it seems to be at the center of always great of great marketing um, and that's what we want to kind of foster and create so that that that's step number one but maybe we trusted them too much in that and with we created a bubble and we brought them into the, the that bubble of trust without really creating and, and vetting it as often and as as regularly as possible and didn't some of that sits with us at the end of the day. It, I think we, we want to trust them, but we have to make them earn that trust. Trust by verify, as yeah. another marketer said. Yes, and that's the thing that's absolutely true. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, taking a quick break here, uh, we'll be back with more uh, with Ron after this. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Share our shows with your friends. Like us at Facebook.com slash WSJ Podcasts. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back with Ron. So we were talking about trust, a story that that we broke recently that involves uh, advertisers and trust and a big name in the space, Facebook. So uh, Sue's reported uh, that Facebook has been overestimating uh, a, a metric, a video metric, average viewing time for videos um, for about two years, uh, inflating the, that average time that users spent watching videos by 60 to 80 percent, um, according to a, a document that we, uh, we saw from Publicis. So this was a really kind of big bombshell. I think it, it really speaks to a lot of the fears that media companies and advertisers have about um, about Facebook. And so, as Suze, you know, you, you, you broke the story. Um, what do you think the implication is going to be um, for, for this? Look, I think any time a major platform that is so powerful like Facebook, you know, basically admits it's made a mistake, it's a key metric, you know, it's not the currency by which people base ads, buy ads on, but it's a currency that you have marketers who basically give more power to Facebook and more dollars from other platforms because this metric shows that people are spending a longer length of time watching their videos. That's an important thing right. for some marketers. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's the only metric they look, look for, but it, again, it goes to this issue of trust, and I think that's what everybody today is sort of swirling about. Um, Ron, maybe you can talk to us about sort of what you thought of it when you first heard about it um, and what you guys are sort of reconciling with it today. Yeah, when it first came out, we, we actually didn't know what to do with it because um, it, is, it, is it something that is refers to under-delivery or is it about just the quality of uh, video on Facebook? You know, Facebook has always had an issue with viewability um, or views, I'll say, on on. Uh, on the platform. What do you say? Do you mean the sort of three seconds? Yeah, ba- basically, um, because uh, the the uh, you know the the, uh, the the swipe on say on the Facebook feed is uh, with the thumb is so prevalent. They're just having a hard time having people stick with a view for more than that initial moment and, and engage sound and all of that. So. Um, because they, they, you know, they they're, they're built on the feed. It's you know, and that and the, and the scroll is so powerful. The stickiness of, of videos is a hard thing for them. So um, it was not a surprise to know that you know people they don't have high view rates. But I think you know the fact that they 
um, were potentially goosing the number or not, you know, not potentially being 100% accurate with it or even potentially lying about it is that's the concerning part because the truth is, you know, they, they have been, to take a step back, they have been excellent partners and I, I've been very, um, uh, they deserve a lot of credit for a building massive scale and being being a fantastic utility that people love to use, but also tell, trying to help prove to advertisers how powerful how powerful their platform is with measurement, whether it's you know bringing data logics results and showing sales lift, uh, brand lift, all of the things that you a brand or a marketer wants to see. They tried to help measure the effect for them and actually taught them how to use the platform better. And and every other platform out there is kind of mirroring what Facebook is doing, but when you start providing bad information that potentially um, confuses or, or directs you in the wrong direction, that's a very dangerous game to play, right? So, yeah. Um, the, the problem seems to be, right, that there's this big issue everyone's talking about, sort of the walled garden issue, right, where there's not necessarily a watchdog or in TV there's, you know, the, the Nielsen ratings, kind of the end-all, be-all, uh, outside independent number that governs the entire marketplace. But when you're buying ads on Facebook, Snapchat, really Google, you know, any sort of platforms, it's their turf, right? And, and they can introduce sort of these, these measurements, um, you know, that, that you mentioned. But to what extent is it concerning or are you really clamoring for a better third-party, completely trustworthy, independent way to measure what you're doing? Uh, no, it's this is this is a huge issue, and um, people have been saying this about Google for a long time. I've been very vocal about uh, having third-party to um, v- validation on many things: fraud, viewability, audience, right, and all, and now views. Um, so, having to self-report is it, just not an acceptable way to go going forward. Because, you know, the problem is that the, the, in, in the digital world, that you're looking at two companies, potentially the two most powerful media companies ever, and you, at least in the United States. So they, they carry so much weight that they can create that garden, that walled garden. And we, as an advertiser, it, it, you clearly you're seeing bad behavior because of it. And, so, you know. so why not just hold money back as marketers? I mean, everybody talks about their power, right? But the marketers have the power. They have the dollars. And we've seen other marketers hold money back in the past, and then they bend and, and let some, some of the measurement tags into their systems. But, like, doesn't the business, I mean, shouldn't it come together and realize the power that it has to sort of force change here? And maybe this will force change. That's ha- it, uh, I will, I will, that's happened recently. Right. Uh, more specifically with with YouTube, um, and how so? As in, well, uh, mm-hmm. I'll say this: we have had progress on viewability and fraud, where um, integral ad science, Moat, White Ops, um, um, and others, uh, Comscore, have all been now. Uh, brought in to the the big platforms, the Facebooks and the, and the YouTubes, and they're actually tracking few, uh, viewability, f- potentially fraud. And Google, like Google, obviously has their own suite of abilities to do this as well. But that's not a third party, right? So we we just need you, they need to be able to have an independent group come in and validate and be able to measure it relative to other the rest of the marketplace. And, and just for, for our listeners, when we say yeah. viewability, we're talking about the the ability for people to actually see whatever what, is on their screen with their own eyeballs. Exactly. Well, and, on screen and at a, at a significant percentage, if not entirely, right? Or not buried on a different browser tab or all these other issues that you're, you're facing. 
where you know those would count as quote unquote impressions, but they're not on the screen. So, so to Suze's point about kind of you know money talks here, um, do you expect marketers or agencies to really push back uh, on Facebook here? And do you think that this will be the catalyst for bigger change? Uh, I, it, it's a, there will be a series of events, and I think that the, it could lead to that. Um, no, I would expect Facebook to react. Um, you know, well, we have a meeting set up with them literally next week, and they're in our offices we once come? a week. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do a podcast uh, uh, over this. Hey, meeting. listen, you know, um, if but, Facebook, if you're listening, let us know. <laughs> but look, they we have a very good. We have always had a very good relationship with them, and uh, maybe not always, but the last three years for sure, a very strong relationship with Facebook. I expect it to continue. I hope. It doesn't get to the point of anything that we're potentially referring to. Uh, we have there's some explaining to be done. We've had good moments and bad moments, and that's just part of being a relationship with. You know, they're a partner. Um, they're a top vendor of ours, and it's going to continue hopefully. Look, I mean, we talk about Facebook, but if you pull back from this, right, Facebook's just the latest issue that we're seeing in terms of the whole transparency, legitimacy of online advertising, right? I mean, we've been writing for four years about the online ad fraud, and your company has been sort of at the forefront of trying to battle that. Can you speak to sort of like overall, you know, how much questioning should be done now by marketers over online advertising and the efforts there? I mean, every day there's another issue, whether it's viewability, ad fraud, meaning bots that make up fake, you know, traffic to websites, Um, never mind the lack of uh, measurability and third-party verification. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you did on ad fraud. I mean, how do you tackle that issue? Well, we've been very clear. I mean, we had, we, um, with, with fraud, um, we if we end viewability to actually we made the rule at the beginning of this year like if your tags are not if you don't allow third party tags we're probably going to have to pull you off of our buys we said that over the second half of last year and we implemented it this year um, and, uh, and I don't uh, we look Heineken by itself is not powerful enough to make change which is what you referred to earlier um, other advertisers silently and some, you know, you know, with Kellogg's, uh, they deserve a lot of credit, very vocally came out and said, um, the, you know, digital advertising does not work as well as, as the way television did, and these are the reasons why. If we don't fix it, it's not going to happen. So if you, if you have fraud, if you, you know, if you don't allow us to track for fraud and track viewability, then, you know, there's no reason for us to be working together, and they, and they actually walked away. Others did it more subtly and quietly behind the scenes, but all of a sudden you saw um, YouTube, Google YouTube announced were, you know, starting in its first quarter of 2007, they allowed Moat yeah. to come in and track viewability, and they've added others as well. Um, and, and now Facebook has followed. Have all these issues ha- um, affected or have you reshaken up how you spend your money, like pulled out of digital to some degree or, you know, increased television? Because we are seeing this year <laughs> that television got more money back. You know, That's there bizarre, are some people, yeah. people so, actually went too far into digital. So, we, so, so when, you know, five years ago, if you look at where Heineken was in the, in the, in the landscape, we were less than 10 percent digital in terms of our media investment in the United States. Um, we're now over 30%, but we've kind of hit a plateau because of this main issue of, all right, we're going to spend a little bit of time here getting digital more effective and not, you know, we so we've kind of reshaped our media investment landscape, 
but it was we had to optimize for effectiveness. We, we we moved money around, and it wasn't necessarily driving volume. Over the past two years, we've been able to really improve digital, and that was a remove fraud, optimize for viewability, and then also about context, making sure that our, our you know we weren't just spreading the peanut butter around digital. We needed to be in this content that really worked for the, our brands and ma- and resonated with our you know our message. Um, that part, you know, so now you you have this this. It's kind of a race against the clock, though, because TV, the drop, the, the audience drop in television is actually accelerating over the past year, and that created a market dynamic in this upfront where you had audience declines and CPM in, and, and dollars coming back because people actually s- shifted the, the, you know, their mix back into television a bit and at least back into the upfront. So you had a moment where everyone's like, all right, let's pause on this on digital until we kind of get it right. Not necessarily pause on it, but pause on the shift. Right. Um, so slow down the money moving right. so, in. So, is, is that because – would you describe that as sort of an overcorrection of sorts? I mean, did people maybe pull out of television faster than they should have? I think that's, that, that is what – that's what people are surmising, that certain big – um, advertisers have corrected what they may be done as an overshift, which all they did was actually created a second wave. Like I'm, as you now sit post upfront and watching all the TV ratings and the issues that are going on, to, uh, to you know now in November, uh, sorry, it's in September, looking at October, November, realizing, well, maybe I should have pulled more money out of the upfront, <laughs> right? So that's the that's the so it's this this right, this, and then there'll um, be a, a correction to the overcorrection. Exactly, next year. exactly. So, that's, so there's basically nowhere to go. <laughs> Well, I mean, the good news is I think, you know, even when you're talking about walled gardens and you're looking at and you're kind of like throwing your, you know, your notebook in the air and screaming at what's uh, what you guys are reporting on and what all this stuff's going. The truth is we're finding that digital can work and in some cases work as good or if not better than television. And it's it, as you peel away and it, it comes down to the heart of it is it, it is being transparent and being able to measure What's what's there and what's not, and what's effective and what's not, and actually um, optimizing to performance. Then all of a sudden, in, in, a, in this world, it's digital can be extremely effective and more efficient than television. So it would, it should, and will work. And it really gets down to the heart of, all right, let's create a level level playing field here that we all can s- succeed and thrive in. How does that happen? The level playing playing well, field. I think t- the TV I mean, model really worked. I mean, it's, and you mentioned it before, is Nielsen. Sitting in the middle, whether it doesn't have to be Nielsen in the sense of, you know, I'm sure Nielsen would love that, but whether it's Nielsen, it's Comscore, whether it's Moat or who, whoever it is, whatever you know, the the partners are out there that are you know non media company entities that can sit in between the advertiser, the agency, and 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 the the the, the media, right? And, that, and that's when you have that level playing field, that's what actually creates tremendous success, I think. And that's what we're really striving to create now. Um, and that's hopefully it, we're moving in that area. Well, we, you mentioned a little bit, obviously, TV ratings, the challenges um, this fall. Emmy ratings were down. Um, seems like a lot um, the debates are coming up that, that those are probably huge ratings. But there was this thought for a while, football ratings were down. There was thought for a while that these like big live events would be like, the last bastions of, of good ratings. But they're slipping a little bit. I'm curious what your what your viewpoint is in terms of um, just 
the kind of slipping of, of live TV events in terms of um, you know w- what kind of value that might bring to a brand if these ratings are coming? Yeah, I, look, I, I think I hate to make broad sweeping comments on things like that. So, so in fairness, the you know the MTV uh, awards and the Emmys they have been in decline for long periods of time. And I think uh, I think what you're seeing is uh, part of it is they've lost relevance, and part of it is audience decline. The, the NFL, okay, ratings are down after years of double-digit massive growth. They had a ba- they're having a bad couple of weeks. I don't want to read too far into that. It's still a monster, and you know, at the end of the year, 18 of the top 20 programs viewed in the United States will be NB, you know, NFL yeah, games. So, yeah. right. and so, God only knows how many people are going to turn it tune into the debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah. It's uh, well. Let's hope. Is that, that safe for uh, your brand? Uh, <laughs> um, are you advertising? There are, the no, there aren't. There aren't ads. The no, no ads there. in the debate. I mean, oh, you right. could, no, you could, but, you, before, but you could you do go, certain things. I, yeah. I, I, are they all going to be drinking Heinekens during the debate? Get, get that in front of the moderator, <laughs> like American Idol with the Coca Cola. Just get them some Heinekens. Uh, look, I, I'll, I'll say this about it. I hope America's watching the debates because I with uh, a Heineken in hand. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> Before, during, and after. Um, We're going to need it. And, but no, yeah, responsibly. All right? okay. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we'll definitely be watching. Uh, Ron, thank you so much for, for uh, joining us. Uh, happy Advertising Week. Uh, happy Advertising Week to our, to our listeners. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix Podcast. Cheerio. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.